No. Ah, much better. Now, get ready for an uncivilized discussion about faith. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Barbarian, Barbarian Prophet. Welcome back, Barbarian Nation. I am so glad that you are joining us today. I have in studio Ken Hicks, a guy that is not my personal psychiatrist, but thinks that he probably should be. But one of the fun things that I have happening today with him is we are actually able to do something I haven't been able to do before, which is... It's time to reach into that virtual mailbag and read some email from our listeners. So I got an email from a sister in Idaho that her husband, I'm not going to mention names or anything, but she had a husband that had come out of the system, out of the prison system. And stepping back into reality of the world that had changed since he had been there, it caused some great stress and ended up causing him to go back to doing some old behaviors, which unfortunately stepped into a position of taking uh, his life. And uh, she had wrote me an email and said, uh, you know, one thing I'd like to hear on the Barbarian Prophet is how do we as spouses deal with this? What are some of the things in that the people coming out should do and stuff like that? And I, I actually talked to my friend Ken, and him and I had a brief discussion at the church, and then I asked him if he'd be on the show. So welcome, Ken. Thank you. So uh, one of the things that we want to kind of talk about today is – uh, what do you do for a living, actually? And and I mean, like, you're getting ready to retire at some point, right? At some point. Yeah, your wife says so anyway, right? <laughs> yeah, my wife and I both have uh, transitions counseling in Casper, Wyoming. Okay. Yeah. And and what do you guys deal – what do you specifically deal with? Uh, well, specifically, I deal with uh, substance abuse issues. Okay. But I also do groups for uh, sex offenders and for – uh, cognitive thinking groups for offenders who violate the relationship with their spouse. So, oh, okay, all right, that's and, uh, and I do individual and marriage family counseling too. So, okay, that's excellent. That all of those things are things that are definitely needed within our community, right? Yes, and uh, because we see, I, I deal within the prison system and the and the jail system with the inmate on that end of things, and then you help them a lot of these guys on their outside or before they get thrown inside to try to break some of these cycles. Yes. So why do you think? I, I mean, without going into a deep spiritual anything, let's just go with just basic science here. With uh, how do you go about evaluating a person? Well, if I'm seeing them for the first time, I, I would do a substance abuse evaluation. But if they're just coming in from and they've been referred to me by somebody else, I'll get some legal history on them, and then I'll, I'll we'll follow through with whatever the recommendation was that they got for their evaluation. So, excellent. Okay, and then usually it's this relapse prevention group that they want them to attend. Okay. And then where do, uh, so you've gathered this information, and then what becomes a process thereafter? I let them know what the recommendation is from the person who did their evaluation, and that we can 
provide that counseling for them. Usually it's relapse prevention. So Okay, so what exactly does relapse prevention look like? Because, I mean, I, I've got very tight brothers right now that battling with alcoholism and stuff, and they, they do their best to stay clean. I yeah. mean, they really do. But eventually, bam, we're back to square one, and they're fighting it again. Well, I brought with me some of the uh, issues that are normally found in the first early five, five common problems in the early recovery for the person. And it's uh, using friends and associates, anger and irritability, uh, having alcoholism in the home, boredom or loneliness, and um, special occasions, you know, especially with Christmas and stuff like that. Mm. New Year's, we celebrate, you got to got to have us drink usually with that so right well and you know uh thanksgiving and christmas or my and fourth of july are my big when the jail they get it actually emptied out like the week before they give everybody bond and everything else Mm -hmm. and we'll drop down to maybe a hundred inmates in a 350 inmate jail and the next thing you know we're full right like the next day thanksgiving hit and we're full before Christmas. Exactly. And uh, then come Christmas, they kind of do that again. And bam, all of a sudden, we you know we went down 100 inmates. And uh, Christmas Eve, we jump. So that just tells me some horrific things are happening in the households a lot during that time, too. Right. Well, I'm also encouraging that, that they consider attending 12-step meetings. Agreed. But a lot of them have a difficult time with the meetings because they say, well... The only thing that does for me is they we hear war stories about how much drinking and drugging they were doing, and that tends to trigger it for me. So, so what kind of what would be the best way to run one of those meetings uh, to to prevent exactly what you're saying? It's like I, it's who can brag the most that they did the most wrong. Yeah, and I think you know if they had providers there who could uh, actually indicate and pre- present the issues that would trigger a lot of relapse issues. Right. And uh, that they'd give them some other opportunities. There's also medications that people can use to block cravings and stuff. Okay. Naltrexone is one of the ones that a lot of people will use to block the cravings that they get for alcohol. Now, are you capable of... um Writing a prescription? No, for no that? I'm not. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> okay, so it needs to be a, a, from a, 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 a from a phys, licensed physician. Licensed physician, but yes. that can be your recommendation yes. for them to do an investigation yes. and do yeah. that. Okay, yeah. All they have to do is go to their doctor and ask for the medication, and the doctor will usually provide it for them. So. Okay, so now uh, let let's say uh, Johnny Cool just got out of jail, uh, just got out of ten years of prison. Okay, now we all know the world was different ten years ago than it is today, and he steps back in, going, "I've got life, man. I've been sober now for ten years in the joint. I've got it all held together." What are some things that the the wife and family can do at home to start preparing for him to come home into the the environment? Well, to make sure that they keep anything out of the home that would trigger that relapse for him. Okay, like alcohol or drugs or even cigarettes and stuff. Yes, exactly. You know, because cigarettes, a lot of people don't think about them much, but uh, you're not allowed cigarettes in the joint. No. Right? And uh, you're... Most uh, places you can't have them nowadays. Yeah, that's true. Uh, But it's still number one seller out there, I think, so... 
you know, it's anything that be, that helps uh, uh, gain a, a what would you call it uh, an addictive behavior. Because mm-hmm. if they start with an addictive behavior, at least I know this of my own life. If I start into something that is a bit of an addiction for me, it's outside of what I normally would be addicted to. Then I can gravitate right yeah. back over to the and, other. And nicotine was my addiction at one time. So, yep, mine too. But I had to go through six bypasses before I says, "Oh, well, I'm glad I didn't any of that." Yeah, I said, "Enough is enough," and I actually had my. Last cigarette up at the hospital when they used to allow you to smoke in the hospital. So, <laughs> so you had to smoke just before heart surgery or what? Yep. <laughs> last, last cigarette. Yep. That's funny. Yeah. So, yeah, that's been a while back since you had that then because yeah. they haven't allowed smoking in the hospital. No, in that while. was yeah, back in 94, I think it was. Wow. Yeah. So a few wow. years ago. So I've changed my life though. No longer smoking anything. So. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So when you deal with people, what perspective do you try to come at them when you're we're looking? Do you totally look at them as a doctor? Do you totally look at them at, you know, as a psychiatrist? Do you totally look at them? How do how do you view a person? Well, I, I look at them in terms of what are their triggers right now, internal and external triggers. And we, we review some of the possibilities that might be a trigger for them. Uh, an example of uh, internal triggers, there's a being afraid, angry, confident, criticized, depressed, embarrassed, excited, exhausted, frustrated, guilty, happy, inadequate, insecure, irritated, jealous, lonely, neglected, nervous, passionate, Pressure, relaxed, sad, and bored. So, so is this kind of like the cousins to the seven dwarfs? I mean, because I heard a couple of the seven dwarfs in that little line there, and then the other one. So, I mean, you know, Christy always says, well, angry is sleeping, and we're just going to let him stay that way. <laughs> so, uh, you know, what what happens when, we, when we're experiencing? Is it an extreme of those emotions? Well, the one thing that the AA meetings covers is the acronym called HALT, Hungry, Angry, Lonely, and Tired. How often do I experience one of those feelings? Right. Because those are the major ones for a lot of people. Okay. Especially um, when they're lonely and they're bored, they need something else to do. And, of course, they think about going back to their drugs of choice. Right. Yeah, because they're looking for a numbness more than a cure right okay so so what are so when we start to see some of these signs i mean as a as the spouse at the house and we start to see some of those signs what would be a good countermeasure that we could start up front well i would encourage the spouse to to come you know joint have joint counseling with her husband so that's me Is that you? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's okay, folks. It wasn't me. For the first time ever, I was like, wait, I threw mine off. I was hoping it was you. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of the day, uh, so let's jump back into this. So the spouse, uh, what are some of the things that they can start doing when they're starting to see some of these things pop up? Well, they they can call and help kind of get in contact with us, and we can try to set up some individual. That wasn't somebody calling you. No. <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> Probably a robocall. So. A robocall. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
So, uh, so they call you and start getting something set up for them, right? As a couple, so because it's important that we see it as as a as a major anything that affects one person in the family is going to affect all the family members to one degree or another. So, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So then, uh, so if we get the husband and wife come together and they start to work with some of this, because <coughs> we do get some ladies that are coming out of the prison or out of the jail, et cetera, that their husband's been clean and sober and, and straightened up for, you know, let's say she went away for five years and the husband's been straightened out. Then when she comes out, do you see where relationships sometimes are the trigger? Very much so. Yes. So is there actually a time? How do we, how do we prevent that? Well, I, I have the couples do a, a values ex- exercise in which they write down 15 things that are important in their life, and then I have them compare what they put versus what their partner put and see how much of that blends for them. So Okay. And that's, that's important for them to see that so that they can work to keep the relationship together rather than to terminate it because in termination, nobody wins. There's no winners in a, in a termination of a of a relationship. So. Right, right. Yeah, because uh, that becomes a new trigger. Exactly. And so that's exactly what we're trying to do is prevent uh, trigger after trigger uh, to get it into a very uh, tailspin, I would call it. Yeah. And then I have, um, as I said, we have hung- hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, and, and see which ones. Particularly what I see is hidden anger where where people don't ever deal with the problem where they were at one point physically or emotionally or sexually abused when they were a child or younger. Okay. And that they carry that with them and they block it because they don't want to talk about it with other people. So, Oh, I understand that more than anything. There's my real addiction, two addictions. One is gaining in power. The other one is dealing with anger. Yeah. And the thing is that if they don't deal with it, in a way that's productive, uh, what happens is that when they meet somebody in their life who has similar, what they view as similar behaviors as the person who abused them, this can disrupt their thinking and they have an explosive outburst. Interesting. Yeah. So I usually ask them to think about the person that who caused the most abuse in their life and to actually take time to write them a letter and let them know that because of their behavior... I now have these types of problems in my life. And they don't have to send a letter, but they do have to let them, they have to be able to express all the feelings that they're having in their life because of that abuse. Right, and it is... uh, So they get a chance to get it out responsibly rather than have this explosiveness about them. Right. So then what would happen, uh, uh, do we step through a point of... um, forgiveness yes okay and so what does forgiveness i know what forgiveness looks like from my angle and as i've been trained in being a pastor i'm curious to what forgiveness means when it comes from your angle well forgiveness means that i don't no longer have to use any type of chemicals in my life to to deal with the problems that i i have never dealt with in the past okay so it becomes a uh, a prevention of self-abuse. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now, one thing that I, I often tell people, Ken, when I'm doing counseling is they'll say, uh, 
well, I don't want to forget what happened. I tell them, you don't have to forget what happened. Mm-hmm. We're stepping into forgiveness, not forgetness. And so what what happens is uh, forgiveness means to surrender your right to press charges against that person. Right. Because at that point, you're still trying to be the judge of the situation. Right. When there's really nothing you can do, it's happened. Right. We've got to progress forward. What we do is prevent it from happening again. Right. And I think that that, uh, that is when we start subjecting ourselves to uh, chemical dependency, and we'll include alcohol and all things, any type of thing that uh, causes a disruption mentally and emotionally, that what ends up happening is we end up... Um, Let's see. It would be that we would end up in a case where we start to uh, either self-medicate uh, for prevention of feeling those or reacting that way, and then that eventually leads to a whole can being opened of craziness. Yes. Okay. So. Well, and the explosiveness, too, that right. comes with it. So. Absolutely. Which, which scares the hell out of people in their life because they say, it never knew that you had this type of anger in your life that you were not expressing or sharing with anybody. But now you have this explosiveness, which makes me wonder what is where would it go from here? You know, right? So, do you think people bottle that down? How do they release that so that it goes away? They just, if they don't deal with it appropriately by sending that letter and getting out all those feelings, it gives them a chance to express all those feelings that they've been hanging on to. That's one way that it helps them to relieve some of those feelings that they've been hanging on to by writing it down and, and presenting. And I actually have them present it to me and I present like I'm the person that they're listening to. So that they're, that they're angry with. So, I'm going to tell you that's why I wrote my book. Yeah. My book was not written to be released. Yeah. When I initially wrote that book, I ended up writing that book to deal with life, mm-hmm. with why I was feeling so much rage inside and stuff to that effect. And so when I wrote that book, uh, so I'm plugging my book from the club to the cross. You can get it on Amazon there. I advertised. Um, then what ended up happening is other people that read it said, Hey, other people need to see how to do this. And I, they, I said, well, yeah, everybody should write a book. They're like, no, no, they need to see that they're actually, you can't hide this stuff forever. It'll tear, it'll trash you. It'll destroy you. And, uh, you know, I'm seeing this happen with some of my friends. That guy, one of the guys that uh, led me to Christ, his name was Dale Hunt, and Dale, uh, Dale had uh, a bad problem with heroin. When he was in prison, he was good to go. He had a structure; everything worked well for him. But on the street, he would fall to that stuff every single time, mm-hmm. and it eventually took his life. And uh, so. Uh, I wish I would have known, you know, I, you always go, well, I'll try to help them, et cetera. But the only one that can help them is themselves. Is that correct? That's correct. So all we can and, do is point well, them a or, direction. Or get them into, into a 12 meeting where they can get a sponsor because sponsors have been very helpful for a lot of the 
my clients. Right. So, so then, then my next question to you is this, is that uh, what happens if a person does not want to get help? What's the best thing that we can do for that? Well, I, I basically you look back through their life and what their ch- charges were and how much time they spent in jail. Mm-hmm. And then you tell them, you need to reward yourself for staying clean and sober. Mm. Now, the 12-step meetings, they usually give coins for right. people who stay clean and sober. Right. But if you have a hard, difficult time going to a 12-step meeting, then I say, take a look at the money that you were spending for your drugs of choice or alcohol mm-hmm. and reward yourself in a way that you buy something that can enhance your life rather than just spending money. So, But make you feel good that you're staying clean and sober. Right. That's very interesting. All right. So then our next uh, bit is um, what do we do with um, the guy that has uh, come home? Or I'm just, I keep using guys because I deal with uh, males all the time. Sure. But a guy that comes home from the prison and he is looking, um, He's looking to reconnect with his life, and he doesn't have a problem with it hitting any of these triggers at this point. How does he do prevention before we ever get down that way? Well, I usually have them review the warning signs of relapse, and I have them go through this, and there's about 37 signs signs that you're going to relapse. And I'll go through them quickly. It says apprehensive uh, apprehension about well-being, denial, and uh, adamant commitment to sobriety, compulsive attempts to impose sobriety on others, defensiveness, compulsive behavior, impulsive behavior, tendency towards loneliness, tunnel visions, uh, minor depression, loss of constructive planning, plans begin to fail, idle daydreaming and wishful thinking, feeling that nothing can be solved, immature wish to be happy, uh, periods of confusion, irritation with friends, easily angered, irregular eating habits, listlessness, irregular sleeping habits, progressive loss of daily structure, periods of deep depression, irregular attendance at treatment meetings, the, the, the development of I don't care attitude, open the rejection to help, uh, dissatisfied with life, feelings of powerless and helplessness, self-pity, thoughts of social drinking, conscious lying, complete loss of self-confidence, unreasonable resentment, discontinue all treatment, overwhelming loneliness, frustration, anger, and tension, start of uh, controlling, uh, start of controlled drinking, and loss of control. Now, I'm not saying that they have all of these, but if they have five or more, Right. That's usually an indication that they're getting very close to a relapse. So. Yeah, they're getting ready to step over the edge. Exactly. Okay, so these are some good things that we can utilize for that. I mean, they need to reach out, and there's generally somebody in almost every community within close to their community they right. can reach to. Now, let's ask this question. Ken, how did you start into this business? How did you start into... Uh, wanting to help people with recovery, well, I think it started with my smoking itself and what it what it cost me in my life in terms and how addicting nicotine is probably one of the most addicting drugs you can come across. So, 
Interesting. Yes. So, and and so you started out of an addiction yourself. Started researching this, and right. at, you went to you started going to school, or oh yes, I, I have. I'm a social work master's in social work. And okay. I, I also have a, a addiction uh, addiction treatment programs, and uh, I'm also a SAP evaluator for DOT. So nice. Okay, so then the next question gets down to is when did you have a relationship with Christ in, in at that point? I definitely was always going to church. I was hoping that I had a relationship with God, and I think I felt I felt at times I would ask for His help. So okay, and I usually got it. So. Now, were you raised in the church? Uh, yes, yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. I'm ready. Let's let's have that story. So, you, what what's the no part? Well, I was in a Missouri Synod with 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 my mother and my siblings, and then my older brother married a Catholic girl, and um, mm. the Missouri Synod priest uh, made. Uh, he wasn't happy with the fact that my son had married my my brother had married a Catholic girl, so he said that we're going to have to pray for the Hicks family. So. And I think at that point we switched churches. Yeah, I bet you did. <laughs> yeah. So did you end up staying in a Lutheran church? Yes, yes, very much so. Okay, and you guys went to what synod? Just open Christian. Oh, open Christian. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. You stayed in church. You yeah. stayed, You went to like a non-denominational yeah, type exactly, church. Exactly. So what brought you back into this specific church? Like the idea that we were able to relate to the number of people in attendance. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. All so, right. Well, that's good. Yeah. So uh, then the rest of uh, this is how long have you been helping uh, doing your business? How long have you been? How long have you had? Well, my wife and I have had our practice here in Casper since 1994. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, with that, uh, you guys have helped how many people, you think? Who? I, I wish I could. Give you a, thousands? Are we probably, in the thousands? I, I, I would say that yeah, pretty close with all the years. Yes, that would yeah. be over a thousand. So, okay. What's What's most disturbing to me is that when I meet somebody in Walmart who happens to be shopping, yeah, and they come up and thank me for my help, and I can't remember them because it was years ago that I seen them. <laughs> but that's okay. They they're still appreciative of you. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so then the next question gets down to is. How is it that, uh, can you tell me when you remember, like, one that was totally out of control that came to to get help from you? That was What was the worst case scenario you ever had in front of you? I think probably uh, the case in which the person, suicide. Okay. They were thinking about suicide, and I had to work with them around that. Were you successful? Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, how about this one? With uh, this, uh, what is the best case you've ever had where they've strolled in, they think they got problems, and you got them through it fairly quick? And Well, usually if that happens if I have couples, and then mm. they'll refer other people to me because they said that they had a good contact with me. So Right, right. That's so, good. So other referrals would indicate that you did well. So Okay. Well, if you had just anything that you wanted to hand out to people as advice, what would be the key piece of advice you would give them 
even before a spouse or, or whatnot comes home, you said one thing is cleaning things out from the house, etc. Should they have a bit of a plan for continuing into healthy environment when they get out? I mean, make that as part of their plan for exit strategy? Yes, they definitely have to be aware of any and all triggers that could lead them back into relapse and avoid that ever, whatever costs. And I also use the serenity prayer, mm-hmm. which is, is, is a key point for most of the 12-step meetings, in which it says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. All right. So that, that seems to be a fairly helpful <clears throat> tool for a lot of people. Well, and we know things like AA, NA, CR, all of those things are very, very helpful. So excellent. I I definitely appreciate it. I appreciate your time today. You got anything else you want to put in there? No, if they needed to reach out with to you, how would they do it? They can call at the office. We have a Okay, what's the name of your business? Transitions Family Counseling Mediation Center. And it's in Casper, Wyoming. It's in Casper. Do you know the number? Yes. They can call at 265-2555. All right. That's an area code 307. And even if you're not in the state of Wyoming, they can help point you a direction if you reach out. So, Ken, thanks for your time today. Thank you. I appreciate you coming in. You got any last minute, last words, any great words? Other than the fact that I hope anybody who's heard this today will gain some knowledge about what things they can do on their own to keep free of relapsing. So, Amen. I thank you very, very much for your time today. I, I know that you and I have been trying to get together for a little bit, and I appreciate you coming in today, brother. Thank you. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as I tell you at the end of every episode, and we'll repeat just one more time, is that Jesus loves you and I love you, and there's absolutely nothing you can do to stop us. Please email us at info at thebarbarianprophet.com. The Barbarian Prophet is a registered trademark of Barbarian Media Group. Listening to this podcast may cause excitability, euphoria, and overall sense of happiness and the realization that you're not alone. Discontinue use if reddened skin or a rash develops. Side effects may include random hugging, crying out loud, smiling while alone, and happy crying combined with snot bubble development. Do not use during church service. No animals were harmed in the making of this podcast. Are you actually still listening? Seriously, we have nothing more to say except for that one thing that was really, really, really important, but let's wait until the next show for that. Well, one thing I would close out with saying to you today is that if you're facing these type of struggles, there is no shame in reaching out for help, and there is no shame in making sure somebody knows that you're in pain. So call, write, make sure that you contact somebody, because nobody has to face these things alone. God bless you. We'll see you the next time on The Barbarian Prophet.